you still have to put yourself in those positions for this luck to to happen so like i went from not even thinking about law school to randomly this global pandemic happening so i have to apply for it to not even knowing berkeley was a place to going to berkeley to then from berkeley getting the opportunity to study at harvard so like through some random roundabout way i ended up back at a school that i lived across the bridge from and always spent time at for law school so it's just like just crazy how things happen like some people might say luck but it's like i've kind of put myself in these situations where like those opportunities open themselves up for me Today's guest is the one and only George Abuna. George is now one of my closest friends, but back then I hadn't known him for more than a couple of months. So I wasn't really aware of everything that took place in his life story to get to Berkeley. We met as teammates on the Kelman soccer team, but before that, he actually didn't get recruited to play D1 soccer. He got cut from the club team at BU, but somehow ended up walking on and finished his career at BU as the captain of the varsity team. After graduating from Boston University, he got accepted into Berkeley Law and also walked on to the men's soccer team here at Cal, where we happened to meet. To finish off law school, he's studying his third year of law at Harvard University within the exchange program that they have with Berkeley. All of this may seem like a very lucky life, but George gets into the details of what he did to put himself in these positions to be successful. This episode was recorded about a year ago this time, But with the podcast making a comeback, make sure to subscribe to this channel or wherever you're listening to this podcast to stay tuned and help me grow this project. Now, with all that being said, here's the one and only George Abuna. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Denting. I am your host, Fernando Andrade, and today I'm here with a very special guest, a great friend of mine, George Abuna. Is that how I pronounce your last name? Yeah, Abuna. Nice and simple, yeah. George Abuna. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited. excited to be on here. It's... You know, I've I've been seeing you do your thing for a while, so being a guest, it's it's truly an honor. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. And, I mean, we're good friends at this point. We've talked about recording something that I'll talk about towards <laughs> the end that hopefully we can make happen. But for now, it's you're on as a normal guest, so our, our type of episode. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kick this off. I was very interested in talking with you for multiple reasons. First off, you're one of the few walk-ons we've had on the team, but you're the only grad student walk-on I've ever been teammates with, which is awesome. And on top of that, law school. And on top of that, now you're going to Harvard Law. And there's so many different things that I'm like, wow, what a story. Did my research. And to add on top of that, you were cut from club soccer. And now you're, <laughs> you went to varsity on, on Boston University and then came here, played here. And now you're going back to Boston to go to Harvard. So a lot of things to touch on. Um, but if if you had to introduce yourself, for those that may not know you, what would you say? If I had to introduce myself, I would say like my quick elevator pitch on who I am. I think it all starts with my parents. They were born and raised in Cameroon, came to the U.S. in the 90s uh, to New York, where my brother and I were both born. Then I moved to Connecticut when I was four. Grew up there. My mom's a college professor at UConn, so that's why we went over and truly enjoyed enjoyed my life growing up. And I would say the guiding light thing in my life I always did was play soccer. That's all I ever wanted to do, whether it was at recess, outside of my brother, watching on TV, playing FIFA. That was like my life. And I think I was pretty blessed to be in a childhood home where education was something that was always kind of put at the forefront of my mind. 
So it wasn't just, oh, I want to be a pro soccer player. It was, I want to go play soccer in college. And UConn had a really good soccer team. They had, like, number one in attendance every year. So I was going to those games from the time I was a little kid. So I knew I wanted to play soccer. and I wanted to go to school. And that was what I always strived to do. And I was able to do that. Went to Boston University. Uh, ended up coming here for law school. Ended up still playing here, too. So just how, how much I've been able to do with both soccer and education in my life, it's something my, my little four-year-old self would definitely be proud of. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Like, even now that you said it again, it's a crazy story, and I'm very interested to, to hearing about it because, like I said, I was talking about this with some people where I was like, I've known George for less than 10 months. Yeah, it's it, weird. It feels, it feels like we've known each other for a much longer time. Um, I didn't even know you were born in New York. I was, um, yeah. So your parents were working there? Uh, yeah, so my parents came over from Cameroon in the 90s. Um, my mom was doing her PhD over there. They ended up staying, and so, yeah, I was born. December 22nd, 1999, 10 days, 10 days of the 90s I got to spend. So, yeah, and then moved over to Connecticut and never looked back. Now that you've been to BU and have been here at Cal, both as a student and an athlete at both of them, are you still a UConn fan? Oh, such a big UConn fan. I think that's, it's like everyone has that childhood team. And for me, that was the team. And, you know, UConn at the time, you know, they were winning championships in men's soccer and men's basketball, women's basketball. So that's something that's never going to leave me. And now with March Madness going on, uh, both the men's and women's basketball teams are in the Sweet 16. So I'm retweeting it. I'm following along. Like, I'm a Husky for life for sure. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, you, you mentioned, like, education being at the forefront of your childhood already, like, from the get-go. I feel like something that many soccer players, many athletes in general, but in soccer, it's like, oh, you dream of going pro. You dream of the overseas experience. You dream of literally any sort of professional league and I think soccer is different because there's so many leagues in the world whereas for many other mainstream sports there's like one league and then the rest are like not as big um with that being said many soccer players have the dream of going pro from the very beginning but you mentioned that education was super important in your family so did you ever have that dream of like going pro or if like if you didn't like when when did education overcome it or what was that like for you yeah i think it's it's very interesting because obviously every kid does have that dream of going pro and so it's not that i didn't have it i just knew that i wanted education to happen first so like i remember when i was a little kid i would always tell my mom that I would go play in college, I would get my PhD just like her, and then I'd go play for Manchester United because they're my favorite team. And so I'd be like, I'm going to be the first player in the Premier League with a doctor on the back of his jersey. So like that just shows you like, <laughs> like that just shows you like where my, my head was at, where I was like, oh, I'm going to do everything else, but I want to be just like you too. So I, like, I remember even in high school, I was playing academy at the time, and I was getting a ride to a game from one of my teammates' brothers, and... He's like, oh, like, what are your goals? I was like, oh, I want to play college soccer. He's like, oh, you don't want to go pro? And I was like, I just want to do my four years, and then we'll see what happens after that. So I think for me, education was always at the forefront, and, you know, I always wanted to be a student athlete. I think that's something that a lot of people growing up, they're like, I want to be a pro soccer player. But I was always student athlete, and we'll see what happens after that. So I think that mindset is something that, you know, I always try to keep. But at the same time, it was never like, oh, like, I don't care about my time here because I, like, 
being pros and the first thing on my mind it was no i love this game i've put everything i have into it and i will go as far with it as it takes me but at the same time i'm here for school as well very interesting especially like you said because of how soccer soccer players think for any other sport it's like oh yes do you want to see an athlete but for soccer it's not necessarily that way um, so very interesting. I love that story of <laughs> Dr. George Abuna on the Yeah, no, my, my mom always brings that up. And I'm like, yeah, that just really shows you as a little kid, just the places your mind goes. Do you still <laughs> want to do a PhD or was that still like as a little kid in the back of your mind type of thing? Yeah, I think that was that was definitely a little kid back back of the mind thing. Everyone in my family like has pursued education past just an undergraduate degree. So I kind of knew growing up that was something I would do. And even with law school, that was a very late development for me. So who knows what I would have done if I didn't have to go into law school. So, hey, if we won't, we won't rule anything out. Maybe in the future we'll get that PhD, but who knows. For for soccer being such a fundamental part of your life so far, um, you've mentioned your, your mom and how she's guided you in education, but you also have an older brother who also played. Did that inf- influence you at all with soccer, or where did soccer come from? Yeah, I'd say for me, he's been my biggest support in soccer and just in life in general. He's four and a half years older than me, so I kind of got to see him do everything. And then I'm just in his path, like correcting all the little mistakes, you know, he made just naturally. So when it came to like playing for the right club team, once he found the team that worked for him, I played for that team with college recruiting. He knew what emails to send, when to send, send them, how to communicate with coaches and even with law school, he went to law school first after a couple of years out of undergrad. And he's the one that told me, go right away. Like, I think you're ready. So just with soccer, with everything in life, he's just always been there. He's been, you know, kind of that the guiding light for me. So honestly, with everything, like I owe him so much. We talk every day. So he's definitely been a big influence on me. Do you think to a certain extent you followed his footsteps or have you managed to find your own path within doing the same thing as him, if that makes any sense. For example, I didn't know he also went to law school. Um, did you do that, like, as an influence from him, or did you, like, find your own path and saying, I want to become a lawyer for X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I think with him, it's one of those things where, like, he'll show me the path, and then I make it my own. So, for example, he started off college uh, going to University of Hartford, which is where my mom currently teaches. So he was local at the college in our hometown, Went there for two years, transferred, and then did his grad year at UConn and played soccer there. So he always kind of stayed close by in Connecticut. And for me, I was like, I don't want to go to school in Connecticut. So like, I I never looked at University of Hartford. I never looked at UConn. And I was like, you know, thank you for showing me the path on how to get to colleges. I'll find my own path that's right for me. And same thing with law school. He's at Penn now, and I was like, I'm actually going to go to law school across the country in California. So he kind of shows me the path a little bit, and then I kind of make it my own and you know put my own spin on things a little bit. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, there's a, a good story I, I've shared a couple of times with my brother. Um, when Pablo went to to Spain for his gap year, he's like, he's boarding the flight, and he's just texting me like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm already seated. Like, I'm about to take off. Just want to let you know, my entire life, it's been Batman and Robin, but now it's time for me to be my own Batman. And and then he just, like, airplane rode it and took off, and we didn't talk for, like, 12 hours, right, or whatever the yeah. flight was. But that was so funny to me that he described it that way. But then we've talked about it since, and it's like he's found his way to pave his own path. And 
I mean, we've had very different stories, but it's the same thing. Like, he started playing soccer because I started playing soccer. Or we had similar interests because, naturally, that's just how brothers work, I guess. Um, but that fork in the road, um, especially, like, me coming up here and him just moving uh, to Spain and now being at Creighton, like, it's just... I don't know. That's where, where you pave your own path, I feel like, which is very interesting with your decision to not stay in Connecticut and go to BU. Um, what was the story like for you getting to, to BU? Because, I mean, I know you played a club your entire life. You played academy. Um, what was the recruiting process like or how did that work for you? Yeah, this, this is a, such an interesting story. So I played academy growing up uh, all throughout high school and my team actually was pretty successful. Like my junior year, we were number nine in the country, won our division over some MLS Academy teams. But I wasn't a star on the team. Like I was a good role player. It was actually funny. I'd always start like whenever we played those MLS teams because my coaches like knew they could rely on me. But then if we played like the last place team, I'd probably play like the last like 10 minutes of the game. And so I was, I knew myself I was being played out of position. I was a forward growing up and then had some like knee problems, you know, just growing pains. So then I got moved to like outside midfield, but like was not fast at all. So I was like, I should be playing like center mid or center back or something. But we had those players already. So like I never really got that chance. So, you know, when recruiting came along, you know, I got got some looks. I did different visits, but it wasn't like they were just coming in. You know, it wasn't like I had so many options. And so there were certain schools I went on visits to like uh, Lafayette in Pennsylvania. And it was great to be wanted because that's what anybody wants to have someone that wants them on their team. But it just wasn't the right fit for me. Any of the places, you know, they were just in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have the major I wanted. So the fall of my senior year, probably around like August or September, I went on an official visit and I won't name where, <laughs> but I went on an official visit and as soon as I was just driving into the town, I was like, I just cannot see myself here. And it was getting to crunch time. It's like, this is the fall. People are, you know, having all their commitments. So I was like, all right, George, I know you want to play college soccer, but you also want to have a good college experience. Go where you want to go in a city you want to be in. So I was like, let's put soccer to the side for a little bit and let's decide where I would want to go to school if soccer wasn't in the picture. So... I was wanted to be a journalism major, so I got home and I type in top journalism programs in the country, and I saw B was number four, and I was like, oh, like I played a game on their field once. Um, I didn't have a lot of experience with Boston because Connecticut, where I lived, is like, you know, probably like right in between Boston and New York. But because I grew up in New York a little bit, all my family was still there, so I always went to New York on the weekends. Never really explored Boston much. So I was like, Boston's a big city, like. I could probably enjoy it. BU was also a big school, and I went to a small high school, so I was like, that would work as well. They have the major I want. And then soccer-wise, they were D1, and I was like, I could definitely play here. So like, I looked up their roster. They had one kid who like came and trained my club team for a little bit who's a freshman, and I was like, oh, I can if this kid's on the team, I can be on the team. And then I found out that a kid on my rival team in Connecticut had just committed there, and uh, Ian, I love you, and I've told him this story so many times, 
that was a deciding factor for me. I was like, this is the worst player on their team. If this kid can be, <laughs> if this kid can commit to BU, I can commit to BU. And it, it's so funny because like now I joke about it with them all the time because we're friends, but that really was what it was for me. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I was just like, this kid is not good. But when he got there, I realized he was actually a good player. But so all of that kind of worked together. And I was like, all right, I'm going to BU. So I immediately contacted their coach. Um, their assistant coach and he was like oh okay cool like we'll take a look at you this fall or at our showcase and I pretty much told him I was like um I'm gonna come to your school like I'm like I'm gonna come and he was just like okay whatever and so I did a visit just like a normal campus visit absolutely loved it and that reaffirmed it for me I was like yeah this is where I'm gonna go and so they came and watched me at the academy showcase that December and the assistant coach pretty much let me know. He was like, oh, like, we thought you were good, but our roster is full. And they ended up having, like, 32 guys on the roster, which is a pretty big roster. So I was like, okay, whatever. But that didn't deter it for me. I was like, you know what? I know I will get on this team some way, somehow. And so my club coach knew their head coach, contacted him. Um, I ended up driving up to Boston, I think, like, in January, February, met with him, and he just let me know, yeah, our roster is full, but we can give you a look in the spring. And so I was like, that's all I need. Like, I won't play my freshman fall. I'll go in the spring. I'll do my thing. Like, I was that confident in myself. So it was definitely hard, like, seeing people post the commitment pictures and do signing day and everything, and everyone's like, oh, where are you going? I'm like, oh, BU. And they're like, are you playing soccer? And I was like, no, <laughs> but even though I was like so confident in myself that I eventually would and so yeah I went there that fall and was just you know training on my own waiting for my opportunity and it came that spring it was a two-week trial um, I think I played like maybe five days and then there was spring break and so we left for spring break and then when I came back it turns out that spring break was a part of the trial but the coaches didn't know that so like my trial was done and they were like, it's okay, you're on the team now. And so I like went in, filled out the paperwork, and like there was no like ceremony or anything with like on the field where they're like, oh, this guy's a part of the team. It's just like for the next three and a half years, I kind of just never left. <laughs> so so it's funny how funny how it all worked. I know that was like a roundabout story, but like that was kind of the the journey to that. No, that's a sick story, especially with with your friend. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what determined it. But for for starters, what made you not give up on your dream of being a D1 soccer player? Because it's very easy to be discouraged. I played with a lot of teammates in academy that didn't get the offer, maybe had a, a spring trial opportunity or anything, and they just like ended up partying their first semester or just didn't work out or didn't train or didn't even chase it anymore because they were already at the school. They're like, I'm not going pro might as well just enjoy my college years instead of like, quote unquote, throwing it away, like many people will say about athletes. So what made you want to pursue that dream? Yeah, I think for me, it's, it was a dream. It was something I put on my bucket list since I was four years old. So it was something I always wanted to do. And it was difficult for me because I could I knew I could have achieved it. I had the opportunities to do it elsewhere, but I wanted to do it my way. And I think I didn't want to sacrifice my entire college experience just to play soccer. And like, I remember I'd have teammates that were committing to schools just in the middle of nowhere. And I was just like, I would ask them, I'm like, 
why like why are you going there like what is it about the school and it's like oh they gave me an offer and i just didn't want to be like that like i said like i always wanted to be a student athlete and so the athlete is only a half of it so i wanted to make sure i went to a school that if something happened and soccer was taken away from me i would be happy being there and that's what bu was for me and so like i just had this confidence in myself and my mom nowadays too she talks about it. she's like you're probably a little bit too confident but if you <laughs> but i was just like i had no doubt in my mind that it was going to work out like going to bu i was like i'm going to be on this team like it was never really even crossed my mind that it couldn't work out i just knew that some way somehow it would because i bet on myself and on my talent and i knew i would make it work why like genuinely why like what 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 do you think you did to convince yourself of that yeah i think it was obviously partly the players i knew that was there and the level of the team i knew that you know i could play at that level but also just because i knew that playing college soccer was my dream since i was a kid and i was going to make sure that it happened and like maybe it was just you know a little naivety on my part but i was like I know this isn't like a normal thing. I know there's so many people that go to campuses and are like, yeah, I'm going to walk on to this team this spring or yeah, I'm a preferred walk on. And even I had like some people that would say that. And I was like, huh, how many people are going to be joining the soccer team this spring? But for me, like I just always bet on myself. And that's something like I've even told people after because people will hear about my story and how I joined the team and I'll get like, I used to get like Instagram DMs from people like saying like, how did you do it? Like, what do I email the coach? And I was like, I would tell them, but I'd also say just like, bet on yourself. Like, if you think you can do it, like, it's not necessarily a common thing, but like, just have that confidence. And if you really think you belong there, like, it's going to work out. Besides betting on yourself, because it sounds amazing, but I also know you put in the hard work. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to bet on myself, yeah. <laughs> show up, and it's going to work out, right? So what is there behind that story of betting on yourself and getting on the team, but in between, what did you do to prepare for, for that? Because you didn't have a team to train with, or is that where club soccer came in? Yeah, that was that was the plan. I was like, I'll just play club soccer in the fall, still get training, still get games, and obviously that ended up not happening and so once once I didn't make the club soccer team I was like okay like I still have to try and go and play in the spring so I'm just gonna have to train on my own so luckily I had friends that also played soccer I played pickup I played futsal which I actually think helped a lot with my touch we used to play at like the fitness and recreation center at BU every Friday and Saturday so I never really played futsal before but I think my touch got so much better playing twice a week and then just you know just training on my own trying to stay fit and everything so I think that mindset never really left me and I knew that everything I did was working towards a goal yeah yeah that's that's special and and just having that self-belief especially after getting cut or not even making the club team of being able to say like oh I'll I'll make the D1 team regardless (laughs) like that is a crazy story and crazy like point of your athletic career but it's literally only the beginning of college and a lot happened since then but before we get there because this is like the first half of of your story and you talked about betting on yourself and you said it in a great way but if you had to describe to someone or help somebody out give them genuine advice of like how to bet on yourself or what to do how to make that happen because you said it in such an authentic way 
that it was almost like innate to your own beliefs and to your own dream. But how would you advise that to somebody else? Yeah, I think the best thing as well is setting a realistic goal. So like for me, BU was a school that, you know, I knew I could at the minimum be on the roster of. Like it's a mid-major school. They're in the Patriot League, which is like a decent league. The team had had decent seasons in the past, but wasn't necessarily setting the world alight. So it's not like I was like, oh, I'm going to go straight to a power five school with even though like they didn't recruit me. Like I went to a place that I knew recruited people kind of from my area that had local guys where I had some sort of connections. So I think the first thing was like aiming for a place that I felt I belonged. I didn't think it was a stretch at all. I think if they had known me longer, maybe I would have been one of their recruits. So I think that was the first thing, like aiming for a place where you know you belong, not a place that you're like, Maybe some people think I do. Maybe some people think I don't. And I think after that, it's also you kind of have to put things in motion as well. So, like, I talked to my club coach. I was like, do you know the head coach? Can you call him for me? And once I said that, I drove an hour and a half to Boston to meet with him for five minutes. You know, you know, when it comes to college coaches, like, they're worried about their team. They're worried about their guys. They're not worried about some random kid from Connecticut that thinks he can be on his team who's not even going to be playing for him this fall. So like I had to take that time out of my day to make that happen. And I think him just seeing that effort I made, I don't know if it made a difference in the end because it was almost a year later when I joined the team. But, you know, I had to do a lot to put myself in that position. So yes, in a way it's like, oh, it all worked out. But there were so many like little things I did to try and like push myself forward a little bit. So I think it's one of those things where it's like you have to almost like make your own luck in a way. You have to just do everything in your possibility to kind of see those things through. Yeah, and I wanted to be clear on that because betting on yourself for many people is just like, oh, having confidence in yourself or almost like repeating a lie to yourself that it'll work out and naturally it will. If it's meant to be, if there's fate, this and that, and it's like, that's not really how it works. And I know you. I know that's not yeah. what, what you were doing. Um, and I just wanted to clear that clear that out and just like, I'm sure you were doing other things. And even that drive in and of itself, um, on top of the work you were already doing, is like, that pays off. It shows. Understanding and, and having the maturity to know that the coach has so many things on his mind. Like, you have to to put yourself in in that type of situation where okay like this kid is really trying this kid really wants to be here instead of just saying like oh i i would love for this to happen and hopefully it will you yeah know what i mean like taking control of not your own fate per se but like taking control of your own effort and just like making it so inevitable for the result to work out your way yeah exactly it's all about just putting yourself in the like best position possible, doing everything in your ability. Because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. People will make decisions where, you know, they can say no. And that was my thing. I was like, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to be on this team. At the end of the day, the coach could say no. And so, like, I remember in my head, I was like, oh, he said I'm coming in the spring. Like, they're going to lose some seniors. They're going to need bodies. Like, I'll go. I'll do my thing. I'll be fine. But then I think it was almost afterwards where I was like, he could have just been like, absolutely not. Like, you're not where we thought you were. You're not the player we thought you were. Like, we'll find someone else. We're having 12 freshmen come in the fall. Like, we don't think you're at their level. So I think, yeah, just the entire story is just, even just like saying it back, it's like weird how confident I was because 
at just one word from the coach, it would have just completely fallen off and not happened. But that confidence is like almost like you're saying betting on yourself. But on top of that, like having full faith on yourself and faith out of ignorance in a way, which is almost even healthier when you're trying to pursue something like being able to lie to yourself saying this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And working towards that is going to make you better inevitably, like being able to to lie to yourself and say, like, I'm going to get into this law school. I really will. I really will. I know I will. So just keep working because it will happen guides you in that direction like if you put in the work combined with that faith inevitably you're gonna put yourself in a position where it could be possible the result is not up to you but like controlling that effort and being like well i'm really gonna put all my eggs in one basket and i'm really going to grind out this thing let's see what happens but it's like you're so good that they can ignore you to that yeah. extent and that's what people completely miss out on i think yeah exactly like right 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 on the money yeah. do you think or not do you think do you believe in luck i definitely do believe in luck i think so why i think i believe in luck and it's like i said it's luck where you put yourself in a position to get lucky you don't just get lucky by just sitting sitting just one day and something just pops up in your lap it's like when you kind of put enough work into something put enough effort into something then you can get lucky a little bit and so whether that's with like you know an application for somewhere where it's like oh i've taken this test i've done somewhat well let's see if this school will accept me then some people might be like oh you get lucky or you put yourself kind of in an environment where you're meeting all sorts of people and then one of them gives you like a job opportunity or something. So I think luck is real, but luck for me doesn't come by just doing nothing. Luck comes from things you've done in the past to put yourself in that sort of vicinity to get lucky. So I guess, I don't know, maybe some people would even consider that luck. They'd say that's your own networking, that's your own hard work that's put you there. But I guess there's luck a little bit, you know? So I'd say in that sense, yeah, I do believe in luck. I'd definitely say I'm one of those people that you were talking about right now that like would still add something to it because things I consider to be lucky, quote unquote, right? I think who you were born to, what parents you were born to, that that's pretty lucky. What country you were born in, that's pretty lucky. Um, like whatever situation you're in, that that's pretty lucky depending on your situation. But then you're also a product of those circumstances. So it's not really luck. It's more of like this is your parents' product. This is your city's product. This is your situation's product. It's not really like, oh, I got so lucky. More in that, like, no, my parents worked their ass off, and that's why I'm where yeah. I'm at today. Like, my success is really their success. It's not that I got lucky with those parents. No, like, they built me up to become this. I am, in a sense, their product. Like, that. That's this, their hard work came to this. So I would still argue, like, eh, I'm not sure if there is much luck or people want to call it luck sometimes because maybe they don't understand it and there's many things we don't understand so it's easier to say oh it's luck but even then like at at times if if luck didn't exist though and this is me contradicting myself (laughs) if luck didn't exist then i could control the results yeah but realistically i only control the effort not the results Yes, you could go down and say, well, if if it's like the right connection with the right people, you will get into this law school or you will get into this grad program because they see in you what you see in yourself. And that's where it's like, that's where it clicks. And it's 
there's a statistical probability that that's the case. But then you just want to call it luck and end the discussion. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think the what's the quote? It's like success doesn't happen in a vacuum. I think once certain things happen in life, it's only natural for like other things that people consider luck to keep on happening. So maybe at the beginning, it can be considered luck a little bit. But like once things keep happening to you, it's like at some point you almost have to look and be like, all right, like. You've done things in the past that have gotten you to this point, and these successes are happening because of that and the continuation. So, like, I know for me, like, so many different things have happened in my life the past couple years where I've been like, how the heck did I get here? But then I'm like, you know what? Like, I know you want to, like, humble yourself a little bit, but, like, the hard work you've done in the past is why these things can happen. Like, yes, it might. Some people would be like, oh, my gosh, you're so lucky. But at the same time, it's like you put in hard work. And it's like there's little incremental gains. Like that was something what I had an old coach I would always say talk about like incremental gains, like just bit by bit, little by little. So I think once you've done things in your past, it's only it kind of makes sense for that luck to happen a little bit because it's like just your, the natural progression of your story and you never know what's going to happen in the future. Something I'm shocked by people not being able to understand, and I was talking about this with a really good friend of mine that was in very similar situations as I was my entire life, but I am shocked that people don't understand that school in and of itself is like a model for what society really is in the sense that you have the top 10% getting A's, the next 20% getting decent grades, and then the rest are just like not doing that well in school. And then you get like an award for a spelling bee or for best grades in the class or whatever it is, right? But then you start growing up and those same people that were getting the awards when they were younger keep getting the awards. And then they get into good colleges and then they get scholarships and then they get a good internship. Some of them go to grad school, some of them get a good job, but they just keep on winning and winning and winning. And people still act surprised by this. People are like, wow, they got lucky their entire life. Wow, like it just worked out for them. Like their fate was set up. Like their life is a dream. And it's like, dude, you saw this their entire elementary life. Why the fuck would it be different in high school, in college, or afterwards if their mentality was always the same? Like to me, that is just outrageous that people don't really notice it as much. And it's it's quite sad, honestly. I think that people will try to not recognize it or try to deny it per se. Like I remember that this is a, another cool anecdote that I experienced where, where it was, um, I was dropping my younger sister off at a, I think it was a dance camp or something, but this was being put on by a girl that, w- that I went to school with in like all elementary and middle school. Um, we're graduating high school. She, um, her mom's right there. Oh, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm going to UC Berkeley. She goes, wow, like you got so lucky. That's incredible. And this girl goes like, no, like he was always (laughs) doing the same thing. No shit. He ended up there. This girl is going to Columbia. She knew exactly what it takes. Like she's graduating from Columbia now. Have not talked to her in four years, but I remember that story very well. And it's like, I would see her getting all these fucking awards all the time why am I surprised that she ended up at Columbia? Like, I'm not. This is, like, what she was building her her entire time. And it's, like, that the Ice Spice trend on TikTok right now where, where it's, like, um, first they called me a one-hit wonder, but now I did it twice, like... Two, what are you going to call me? Two-hit wonder? Yeah, <laughs> the fuck? Um, yeah, it's that type of thing. 
Yeah. And I think another part of it too is especially like with us as like student athletes and playing soccer, I think just cognitively as well. That's why I'm very happy that I came from a household where education was prioritized because you kind of have to have that mentality in everything you do. Like, I don't really like understand the people that could only have it in like parts of their life where it's like, oh, I'm going to take soccer so seriously and try and put myself in that mindset when it's like you're going to college. Like that is going to impact your your schooling in college if, you know, you never did your work in high school, you weren't focused on that side of things. And, you know, I've seen, I'm sure you've seen it too, guys who are fantastic players, but they come here and they can't deal with the workload of college because in high school they didn't focus on that. That wasn't part of their success. Their success was only on one thing and then – you come to a place where that success takes a lot more than just your ability on the field. So I think that was something that I was pretty happy about too, where it's like I saw the full picture of what like success actually meant. And it wasn't just one sided. It was completely, you know, a whole thing. It sounds like a, a great education that you got at home um, from what you've said with your parents, what you've said with your sibling. Um, but is there anything you disagree with about the way you were raised? Ooh. That's interesting. Because sometimes it's easy to say, like, wow, I got all these great things out of it, where it was, like, my education was great. They pushed me in my sport. Like, I did all these extracurricular activities, which I can relate to. But I'm just curious, like, is there anything you disagree with about how you were raised at home? It's kind of funny, and I guess if my family's listening to this, (laughs) they'll be happy. But I actually don't think so. And I think the way I was raised was... Obviously, I had goals set in mind, things I wanted to do. But at the same time, I never really felt restricted at all. It was kind of everything I ever did. It was because I wanted to do it. And I think that's something that's also helped me a lot because I was the one that wanted to go play soccer in college. My mom did not care if I played soccer in college at all. Um, I told you this once that uh, she tried to bribe me <laughs> to quit my club, my club team, because it was a lot of hours driving and a lot of time commitment. So she said, so the story was I went to a small high school on her college, college's campus. There was 80 people in my graduating class. It was a science and engineering high school. I had no interest in science and engineering, but she thought it'd be a good opportunity for me. And so I went to the school and I was like, I don't want to be here. I want to go to like my normal town's high school where my brother went. And she was like, okay, here's the deal. All the money we spend in terms of gas, equipment, just money we pay for your club team, your academy team, it will go in your pocket if you quit and you go to your regular town high school. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like gosh <laughs> like like this like this is this is funny so it just goes to show you like it's not like soccer was like oh you have to you have to do this you have to do that it was kind of always my intrinsic motivation so i think that was something that benefited me a lot because i saw so many people burn out because their parents were all like you need to get a scholarship to go to college like we don't have the money to pay for you but like for me my entire life it's like maybe it was just planted a seed in me early and then they could like back off a little bit. But like there were never really any times where like I felt pressured to do anything. It was just always on me. And like even when I remember at some point in like middle school, I was like, Mom, I wanna try playing lacrosse. Like some of my friends play lacrosse. She was like, Yeah, go for it. But then 
I was the one that ended up being like, no, never mind. It would take away from soccer. So I think that's something that I really valued about my childhood and upbringing. So I can't really think of too many things I would change because I always kind of had a path I wanted to do. And it was always on me to do it. I was the one who had to tell her like, hey, let's leave for a game or, oh, there's this tournament this weekend. Like, like we need to leave this, this, this is a hotel information. Like it was always on me. So I think. Yeah, I don't really know if there's there's much I would much I would change, honestly. That's very interesting with with the whole thing, and even with that bribe, <laughs> I had forgotten about the story, and I didn't know the specifics about it. So that is crazy that that you did it regardless of the money that you could have had as whatever age you were. Um, at what age did you realize you didn't want to be a professional soccer player, or that it was out of the reality? Yeah, I think I wouldn't say there was a specific age where I realized it was like out of the reality. I think kind of like the thing we talked about with luck, like we've seen it with so many players where it's like, it just takes one good season. And so like, I would never like, I was never like, I'm not going to be a professional soccer player, but it was never like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to like put my mind into this. Like it was a little different from my brother after he finished college, he like went to Europe and tried to go pro and everything. And, for me, that was never an option. I was never saying to myself, I'm going to put soccer above other things in terms of going pro. But I was like, I could mess around and have a fantastic season and some team wants to pick me up, you know? So like it never in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm not, not going to be a professional soccer player. It just wasn't like I'm going to, that is what I want to do like every single day. But that's why in the same vein, it's not like I didn't put everything I had into soccer. I put absolutely everything I had into the sport it just wasn't being a professional wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I was my thing is I want to be the best player I can be. And if that gets me to that level, it gets me to that level. And so maybe I guess I could have trained a little bit more individually and, you know, like eaten better or something. But I'd say there was never a time where I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to be a professional or I don't see this happening. I was like, who knows? Like, I've seen some crazy things. I've seen some guys you know, who don't play, they have a crazy senior year and boom, they're professionals. So yeah, it was never like a point in my life where I was like, oh no, this is not going to happen. It was just never like, like the main goal for me. Yeah. Shout out episode one of Denting, Tommy Williamson. Uh, (laughs) He had like one good season literally because freshman, sophomore year didn't play beginning of his junior year, got injured during captain's training, uh, didn't play until like late September ends up scoring double digits that season, then COVID hits, and then he gets drafted number 12, I think it was, overall. And it was just one of those things. And now he's going into year three or four as a pro, and it's like he's having a very decent, good career in the USL. Um, And it just works out like that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's like back to the whole luck thing again. I was like, hey, if I get lucky – like who knows like maybe it'll happen and obviously like you have those dreams like you know i'd like fall asleep one day and suddenly i'm like oh i scored 10 goals from center back and i got drafted number five overall (laughs) you know like i was like who knows it could happen but yeah in my mind i was like yeah like possibly but no there's never a point where i was like absolutely not if i get a pro contract i'm not signing it (laughs) one of the books i've been reading recently is love plus work by michael buckingham I have it right there, or Marcus Buckingham, my bad. Um, I have it right there. It's relevant. I'll show you afterwards. But anyways, this book, Love Plus Work, it talks about 
falling in love with what you're doing and like chasing the things that you really love and creating that into your work or finding love within your work. Um, and it talks about how we need to chase our passions or find our passions within what we're already doing. With what you're talking about with soccer, it's like you're so in love with the sport that you're willing to do whatever it is, whether it's from a young age, check out the the hotel reservations or what time you need to leave. And then when you're older, it's like, I'll, I'll wait for the spring trial. It doesn't matter if I got rejected from club soccer. I'll wait for, for the D1 uh, trial spot and these opportunities and I'll make it happen. I'll make it work. What is it about the sport that you love so much? Like what keeps you going? What kept you going? What did you like... What did a sport have that you couldn't live without? I think it's just everything. It's like everyone has their passions in life. They have the things that keep them going. And I found that early with soccer. And it's just always been a part of my life. And I can't imagine it not being a part of my life. Like, I think about just the best memories I've had in life, the best friends I've made in life. It's all come from that. So when you have something like that, that just sort of makes you whole. You know, it's hard to move away from it. And so that's why, you know, playing it is my favorite part. I love watching it. I love talking about it. But playing it's the thing that makes me the happiest. So there's never really been a point in my life where I've thought to myself, like, playing soccer is not going to be a part of it. And in my head, it's always I wanted to play at the highest level I could, whether that was for club soccer or college of D1. It was that I want to play at where I believe I can with my ability. So I think... With soccer, it's just been a thing where it's like, it's almost like all I've known. And that's why it's obviously been a little bit harder now, like, you know, retirement and everything. And it's like weird. It's like, I almost don't want to use that word because like, it's not retiring for me because the sport's still going to be there. I've played on three different men's league teams since, since I've stopped playing college soccer. So it's like the sport really isn't going anywhere. You just find a different way to appreciate it, a different way to enjoy it. So I think it's something that I'm going to enjoy for the rest of my life. Like I never felt like I got washed up or I got tired or I got sick of it. And I think once again, I owe that to kind of like my mindset and my upbringing because it was never kind of a method of stress for me like soccer never stressed me out and I think that's something that's a lot different from people who maybe like put those expectations on themselves where they're like I want to go pro I want to do this I want to do that for me it was fun it was like I want to play college soccer but like I'm gonna do it the way I want to do it and even when it didn't seem like it was happening when I had to wait that fall like I wasn't stressed I was like if this doesn't work out, like, I will, soccer will still be a part of my life. Like, it's not going anywhere. So I think just the fact that as a sport, there's so many ways to enjoy it. That's why I love it so much because I know it's not leaving me anytime soon. Yeah, something that from what you said right now, like, you've played so much soccer since retirement. And it sucks because I love the sport too, but I haven't played a single <laughs> bit since senior day. Like, not at all. I think I've juggled the ball once for five reps and just <laughs> let it go in the locker room. Like, I have not touched a soccer ball. And I think it says a lot about my relationship with the sport right now, or at least with athletics. But beyond that, it's like, I don't know. Like, at least the stage I'm at right now, maybe that's just what I need. And eventually, like, something about pickups starts to catch my attention. It's like, that'd be fun, like, with friends just yeah. messing around. But I don't know how to play soccer without it being intense because I've never really done it. Or I did with my friends in school, but even then they'd be like, what the fuck? 
is this kid up to? Like, yeah. this is a bit too much. Like, I remember there was last summer in Italy, I think it must have been our second game. And in that first game, I scored a brace and gave an assist, and we won, <laughs> and we won four three. So that was like we were tied one one, and that happened. And I was like, super the fair pumped. takeover. The fair <laughs> takeover. I was super pumped about that too. Um, and then that second game, I was like, yeah, well, like we should play as intense, regardless. Yeah. But we were like spanking these these kids. I think the fi- the final result must have been like eight or nine. Yeah. Like we were, it was bad. Um, but there was this play in the first half. Um, this kid is just dribbling. I'm like, he's not going to get away. And I just tackle him hard. And I, I personally, like, the video is there. Personally, I still think, like, the ball is at my feet. Like, I don't think it's, it That's was that big of a deal. That's what everyone says. Oh, I got all ball, ref. What are you talking about? Hey, Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> Proper Brexit. Proper Brexit. 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 Brexit means Brexit. <laughs> no, so, so I go on that. Dude, well, even Leonard yelled at me. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, to, to me, playing in this game or playing against a Pac-12 opponent is the same thing. Yeah. But the coaches were like, dude, you can't be doing this. Like, what what are you doing? And my teammates, I remember Jonah comes up to me and he's like, you can't be doing that. <laughs> um, and, but to me, I, I don't know how to play if it's not going to be that way. And I don't know, maybe it, it takes some time off and, and things like that. I still watch the game every single day. And maybe that's, to, to the book's point, maybe that's my way of loving it right now. I love the tactics. I love watching it. I'll wake up at any time to watch any good game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just playing it right now, it's like, it's a different relationship and it's very interesting to talk about it because to the book's point, it's like people can love the same thing in different ways and you're the only person in the history of this universe that's going to understand things this way, regardless of the Milky Way or the time, like we have so many neurons in our head that connect in such a unique way that we can both love soccer yeah. and you can still love playing in your three different men's leagues. And I'm just loving watching the Prem and La Liga every weekend. Yeah, I think like exactly like you said, it's after you're done, you try and find a different relationship with the sport. And everyone has that relationship differently. Like some people, it's just watching it. Other people, maybe they get really into FIFA now. That's their thing. Like for me, I'm enjoying playing it. But like being a completely different player, it's like if I'm playing a game now as a center back when I was in college, like now I want to play striker. I want to play center mid. I want to score goals. Like I never really got to do that. So I think it's all about finding your different relationship with the sport. And like some people also are just like, I want nothing to do with it anymore. Like it was such a stressful time in my life. Like looking back, like I just want to completely release. So I think once you do finish off, it's like, how is that relationship with the sport going to involve? Is it something you have to do a lot of reflection and be like, is it something that like made me a better person? Is it something that I want to like keep up with my life? Or is it something where it's like, no, like I did my time. I'll always be a soccer player, but like, no, I just did it. Did it. So I was in college. That's what I did. But now I've completely moved on in my life. Yeah. Very interesting. Interesting, interesting points, but there's still another, at least one, I think, but I think a couple more, very good stories about your collegiate career. because We didn't even touch on what happened once you played. Um, take me through that first game, your debut with BU. I know what happens, uh, but I need to hear from your point of view. Oh, man, what a day that was. So, yeah, so I joined the team in the spring and played in a couple spring games and, like, did, did decently well. Obviously, I was still a freshman, still just joined the team, so it's not like I was starting or anything. And I was still playing outside mid then, but I was like, that's not my position. I was like, 
I'm a center mid center back. And so I had like my meeting with the coach at the end of the spring. And he's like, you know, we really enjoyed having you. We think in the fall, like we want you to play center back for your summer team this summer. And then you'll come in and, you know, you can, you know, try and work your way into the lineup. And so I played center back that summer. It was the first time I'd really ever played center back in my life because I'd always been, you know, an attacking player. So I come into preseason and we're playing in a back three and the three starting center backs are all seniors, all three year starters. So I'm like, yeah, we're not playing. (laughs) I was like, hey, I'm happy to be on the team, but this looks tough. And so first couple games of the season, I don't see the field. And then we were playing BC, who are our rivals. And our coach walked up to me before the game. And he's like, uh, we had this kid, Nikki, who was German. He's like, Nikki's knees hurting a little bit. We might need you to play striker today. And I hadn't played striker since my freshman year of, of high school. So I was like, okay, like, if the time comes, like, I'll play striker. And so the game goes on. I ended up not coming in. And I was like, oh, guess I'm not playing striker today. And so then we have our next game. We're playing Dartmouth and our starting striker, Matt McDonald. Uh, we're down 2-0. He scores his sixth goal in five games to start the season. All-American pace right now. Scores to make it 2-1 with, I think, like 13 minutes left. But breaks his foot as he scores that goal. And so our coach looks down the bench. We have... Nikki, the German kid. We have my good friend, John Syracuse, who was a freshman striker who'd played a little bit, looks down the bench, tells me to go on. And I remember just being like, what is going on right now? Like, I'm about to replace one of the best players in the country. Like, we're playing Dartmouth. Like, their fans are getting into it. And I remember jogging onto the field, and I'm looking around at my teammates, and they're just thinking, what is going on? Like, what is this coach doing? And I felt the same way. I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you putting me on? Like, I don't even play striker in practice. <laughs> like, like, why are you putting me on for my college debut right now? But I was just like, all right, let's do this. And like, honestly, to this day, I don't remember the game. I blacked out. <laughs> like, I blacked out. Like, I like I, I watched the highlights so many times, but I don't remember it. I was playing on autopilot. And I think it was... Two or three minutes after I came on, my second touch of the game, get a ball, take a left foot shot, goes off the post, then off the defender and goes in. And I was just like, what just happened? <laughs> like I was I was going crazy. I was I was so happy. And like they announced my name in the stadium as scoring. And I was like, let's go. Like this is great. And played pretty much the rest of the game into overtime. And honestly, I think looking back, I'd say that's top three of my best best college soccer games I've ever played. Like, I think just because I was so nervous, I didn't think about anything. Like, I was doing, like, one-touch, like, hold-up play. I was turning. I did, like, a back heel once. Like, I think I just, like, I wasn't thinking, and I think that's when I play best, like, when I don't think. So, yeah, it tied up the game for us, and after the game, my coach, like, had this, like, piece of paper that had, like, the score, and he said, hang this up, you know, give it to your mom, and they gave it as an own goal after, which which is not ideal, which I'm not happy about to this day. I still don't have a college soccer goal to my name, but that that game was something I'll I'll never forget because it was just like a fairy tale start for me. That's crazy that not only were you replacing somebody that was at an all American pace, but if you really think about it, now you were at an all American <laughs> pace. Like you were thirty minutes in 
with one goal, that's that's a three goal per game. Yeah, no, I was I was excited. Except the only thing was that I think I did a little too well because then I started playing a lot more striker. And everybody wants to be a striker; they want to score goals. But like to all my strikers out there, your job is a lot harder than it looks. Like I I did, I would much rather play defense than striker. So I was kind of thrust into this striker role now, where I was like. Oh God! Like I wanted to be a center back, and here I am playing striker because I played one game and did well. Yeah. Well, what did the rest of the season look like uh, for you? Uh, so after that, uh, I kind of made a good first impression. So I think the next game, I came off the bench, played striker, played a really good game as well, and to the point that in my third appearance, I started, made my first college start against Harvard. Oh, I'll never forget it. Uh, still have the picture from that day, like in the starting lineup. Like, love that picture so much. And I think there were I played thirteen games that season. Started seven, so started about yeah. half the games I played. Um, played center mid, striker, center back. I think our coach kind of knew that I was versatile. So like, there were games where I would started striker, move to center mid end the game at center back or start the game at center mid, move to striker, move to center back. So like in a college soccer game, like obviously like little injuries happen. So like if a little injury happened to a center back and I was playing center mid, he would sub them off, put me at center back, sub in a center mid. Or like I remember that Harvard game, it was my first start. I played the entire game at striker and then it gets to overtime and our left center back gets hurt and he puts me at left center back in a back three. And I was like, I've been playing striker this entire game. Now, all of a sudden, overtime, you want me to play left center back. Like, how does that happen? So I think just, like, my versatility that season helped me a lot. Just, like, break into the lineup and, and work out. So I'd say that was still probably my best college soccer season because, like, after that, injuries completely took a toll on my body. But that season, that, that 2018 season was was just such a good time. I was playing. I was having fun. And especially like at the beginning where like I was on the bench the first five games thinking, oh, this is going to be a long season. Just how it turned out was great. And my brother was also working in Boston at the time. So he was at every home game. And so, yeah, that was, that was just a great introduction to college soccer for me. That's awesome. That, that reminded me of uh, Jack, his junior year, Jack Singer. He was, dude, he started center back, then was starting at striker, (laughs) scored three games in a week, three goals in two games in a weekend. And then was playing the six, then went back to center back and was all over the place. So interesting that you had that. Um, afterwards, next season, you were injured. Yeah, so oof, I could tell stories for like 10 hours about these. Really? Yeah, so obviously that fall happens. I have my end of the season meeting with the coach, and he's like, honestly, like we could not be happier about how the season went for you. Like we were able to plug in so many different places. Now, this spring season, we want to figure out what your best position is for us so you can become, like, a corner of the team where it's like, this is his position. And I was like, I completely agree with that. And then the day before I went back for my spring semester, I got a concussion. And so uh, I was playing indoor soccer back of my club team, and I get tackled. I, like, hit my head on the board because it's indoor. And I remember everyone just gasped. We were like, oh. And I was like, 
what's everyone like worked up about? <laughs> you you want to hear something crazy? What? And then the the game after that, you scored a hat trick. I did score a hat trick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like the game after that, I scored a hat trick, and I was like, I was like, yeah, like I'm fine, like I'm chilling. And then I remember that night, I just started getting headaches, <laughs> and so yeah, I was like, this is not good. And then, I don't know if you know this part, since, <laughs> but the reason why I actually like went to a doctor to go checked out was because I got back to my dorm and we had uh, two kids that I just transferred to the school. And they're actually like two of my best friends now, which is really funny as well. But one of them was like, oh, I'm a really good FIFA player. And everyone knew I was the best FIFA player. So they're like, oh, you got to play George. You got to play George. Like no one ever beats him. So I play this kid in FIFA. I lose twice. I was like, all right, that's weird. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, there's a new king in town. I was like, shut up, hop on the sticks. I play my roommate who's never beat me once. He beats me twice. I was like, what is going on right now? And then our roommate, who was just the worst by far, he's talking a little bit too much. I'm like, I know I can beat you. Play him twice, lose to him twice. And so at that moment, I was like, I have a concussion. Like <laughs> that would, it was my own ego that took me to the hospital because <laughs> I was like, I definitely have a concussion. So I go to the urgent care and they're like, yeah, you have a concussion. And so it was not a good one. I definitely made some poor choices in terms of my recovery that made it take longer. And so I was out for two months with that concussion, um, missed, missed a good amount of time. And so yeah, that was not not a fun period. That was definitely difficult for me because, like, I'd seen other teammates have concussions. They're out for, like, two weeks. And I was like, oh, this will be fine. But, yeah, I'm, like, have all these tests to come back to fitness. And, like, I just still get dizzy when I run or do these things. So, yeah, it was not an ideal time for me. But then I came back probably around, like, mid-March. I practiced for, like, two or three days, played in our one of our spring games. I was pretty happy about that. And then probably a week after coming back, I fractured my ankle in practice. Like literally just jogging randomly during a drill, just comes to the side. And so, yeah, I was out with that. They said a month, which I thought was like a little quick because I was like, this is a, a fracture. And so was out with that for a month. And I was supposed to be playing USL 2 that summer. So I was like, I want to get back so I can play this summer. And just kept coming back too quick from that. So ended up spending four months out injured with that. And I remember I started running, I think two weeks before preseason, played soccer for the first time a week before preseason and like got fit for preseason. But the issue is that with the concussion and then with the ankle injury as well, the confidence that our coach had me at our meeting after the season completely depleted to the point where like, he was like, are you ever going to be fit again? And so like, I was like, okay, like I have to work my way back. I have to show him I'm still the same guy. And I remember I got fifth in our beep test during preseason. And I remember him being like, I don't know how you did that. And I was like, Hey, like I'm ready. But then I think it took a while for me to earn his confidence back. I still think he was like, Oh, like, you're not ready, like, I can't trust your ankle, I don't want to have you be, like, our main center back, and then you go down, so the beginning of that season, like, I wasn't playing, and I was, like, you know, this is not good, like, I played, like, five minutes here or there, like, 
it was like I wasn't happy because I was like I went from being a guy who was like next up. Everyone was like, oh, like this guy had a good rookie year. He's going to be the next guy. And then finally, I think like halfway through the season, that confidence started to come back a little bit where he was like, okay, we can trust you. And then I got injured again. (laughs) So, yeah, it was just that season that 2019 was just injury riddled. And, yeah, it was not not a good time for me. And then after that, COVID hits, then um, you're a senior by then. Like, it's an entire mess. But within that COVID time is when you started making the moves for law school, right? Yeah. And is that a story in and of itself, or is it straightforward, as you've told us, with, like, I decided to apply, it worked out, end of story? Um, I guess the story with that is after school ends in, like, May, like, I'm at home, I'm not doing anything with my life, and my brother had just taken the LSAT, he was applying to law schools, and I remember he told me, he's like, you're a smart kid, like, you should take the LSAT this summer. And I was like, absolutely not. This is great. Like, I'm going to lay in bed all day. And so <laughs> I'm like, I'm not doing that. It seems like a lot of work. And so I remember I was really watching a lot of Love Island that summer. And Love Island season two, anyone who's watched Love Island knows, like, season two is raunchy. Like, it is it is some fantastic, like, it is, like, peak Love Island, like, just everything you could want in a season. And I remember I was obsessed with it. Like, I would watch just all hours of the day. And there was one day where I watched from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Watched 12 hours straight of Love Island. Like, the drama was just that good. And I woke up at 3 p.m. the next day. I walked downstairs, and my brother's just staying there. He's like, you're starting for the else. You're studying for the else. I'm starting this week. And I was like, yeah, I probably should do something with my life. <laughs> Because I was like, it was bad. I was like, I watched 12 hours straight of Love Island. Like, I remember when I was going to bed, like, the sun was coming up, the birds were chirping. And I was like, yeah, I probably do need some structure in my life. And so I studied for the LSAT. I, like, took a course probably, like, six weeks or so. And then took it, did well, and was like, oh, I should probably go to law school. I, like, looked at the starting salaries because I was a PR major, journalism minor, so, like, I looked at the salaries for that, then looked at the salaries out of law school and was like, oh, uh, I think I'm going to go to law school. <laughs> so, yeah, just started working on my application, took the LSAT another time to try and get a better score. And pretty much just out of nowhere, especially, like, away from all my friends, you know, I was like, my new career path just opened up itself to me. And suddenly it was like, I'm going to law school. I'm applying to law school. So... Yeah, it kind of really came out of nowhere for me. What attracted you about law school besides the salaries? (laughs) I think definitely the biggest thing for me was that there was so much you could do with a law degree. It wasn't just like just one thing like, oh, you have to be this type of lawyer. There's so many different types of lawyers you can be. And on top of that, there's so many people that have law degrees that aren't practicing law. Like I remember I was watching a lot like CNN that summer and I found out that a lot of those news anchors – had law degrees. So I think I was like, oh, if I want to get back into journalism with my law degree, like that's going to open up so many doors because no matter where you go in life, if you have a JD, that just immediately puts you up, especially if it's from a good school. So I was like, if I go to law school and I decide I actually don't want to become a lawyer, 
I can go back to what my old career path is. And that's only just going to elevate me more because I have this degree. So I think that was probably the biggest deciding factor for me. That wasn't going to be just locked into one path by going to law school. And then about journalism, we haven't talked about this, but what's what interests you there? I saw that like when you were at BU, you were involved in SAC and then you did like their social media. Here you're like involved within the Berkeley Law School. Um, so so what is that like uh, relationship with journalism like for you? Yeah, I just always I think it was for me it was a, one of those things where it's like I love soccer. And so I think that's where it started from. And I just, like, loved, like, English, like, punditry growing up. Like, I loved the pundits, like, who would just sit around and talk about soccer, who would do interviews. So I was like, if I never make it to professional level, which was very likely, I want to be at the professional level of that. Like, I want to use my experiences from playing and the knowledge I have to work with them, to be around them. So I think that's where it started with. So when I went into college, I want to be a broadcast journalist. Like I want to be on ESPN on be on sports center. That's what I wanted to do. And so like I did this, uh, sports show at BU. I did commentary for women's soccer games. Like I did so many different things. And I think I ended up finding it more as a hobby, like the broadcast journalism side of things. But then I still love like the PR side of things, which is why I ended up becoming a PR major. So just like, Social media, being involved, marketing, just like, just like getting your hands dirty, like finding out people's stories. I know it's like, it's like that's the connection we have. Like just like using the, like the knowledge you have from the sport and being in athletics to like still do more with it. I think that was the thing that I love the most and why like even now, like I still run like some social media pages from the law school because I feel like it's just like, it's like a cool thing to do. Like, I just love media. I love journalism. Like, that's something that I also don't think is ever going to leave me as well. Yeah. Right now that you were saying this, um, so I hadn't mentioned it because obviously, as we'll talk about in a bit, you're moving. Yeah. Um, but I had this idea. I was like, when Jimmel comes back, <laughs> like us three, we could um, – sit around and analyze like college soccer in the Pac-12 because people don't do that and and that would be that would be purely for fun that would be so good like purely for fun just like watch the games and be like oh our opinions of like oh player of the week or like like little things like that because men's soccer doesn't really get that spotlight at least not in the Pac-12 and it's like well we could have done it yeah but you're leaving us hey we can do it over zoom Honestly, so I don't do anything over Zoom for the reason being that I love the in-person connection, especially with a podcast. With that being said, considering that we will be FaceTiming regardless, <laughs> it's like, yeah, why not? But I like to do in-person things with people I would not do Zoom or FaceTime with because it's a different connection. You don't have your phone notifications right here below you while you're doing yeah. an interview or a podcast or whatever it is, whereas... Yeah, on Zoom, it's just too many distractions, I think. Yeah, the art of live TV. <laughs> there you go. Um, when you do decide, what what did you have that? <laughs> so what was the, not recruiting process, right? But what was the applica- application process like for you in terms of self-confidence embedding on yourself again? Did you apply to multiple schools or were you limited in your options? Yeah, I think that cycle was a very tough cycle for law school um, because 
of people like me who weren't going to law school, but then because of COVID decided to go to law school. So it's funny, like whenever I'm like, man, that application, like that period was so hard, but it's like, it was hard because of people like me. And so I remember at that time, the school that I earmarked as wanting to go to was Duke. And it was because I still had two years of eligibility for soccer because of the COVID year. And then my freshman year where I didn't, didn't play. So Duke was a T14 law school. And I was like, I want to go to Duke and I want to play soccer there. Like, that is what I want to do. Like, like obviously, like I applied to other schools, but I was like, I couldn't care less. If I get the Duke offer, like, I'm going there. And so Duke ended up being the first school I heard back from, and the first school I got accepted to right before the end of the year. And so I, uh, we got a new coach at BU right before my senior year. And so he knew the Duke head coach. He contacted him, told him about me. And then I got a call from the head coach at Duke, talked to him for a little bit. Obviously, our coach had told him about me and everything. And he was like, yeah, like, you're good. Like, we'd love to have you. Obviously, he's like, you know, set the expectations for the team and everything. During the ACC, they've been doing well in the tour in the past couple of years. So he's like, you know, we can't make any guarantees on anything. But like, from everything I've heard and your highlight tape, what I've seen, like, yeah, we'd love to have you. So I was like, wow. That, that was easy. Like, law school was a breeze. Like, I'm going to Duke. I'm playing soccer there. Like, we're set. And so then I think it was maybe, like, the week before the deadline was due, I was like, you know what? I should probably tell the law school that I'm going to be playing soccer while I'm there. So, like, I let them know that I'm going to be playing soccer. And they're like, okay, just, like, give us a second And so then I get an email, like, the next day saying that, like, they weren't able to make it work, that, like, the way class schedules work, like, I would need to have class in the morning. And so I wouldn't be able to do practice in the morning. And so I was like, there's no way. Like, I've literally set my heart on Duke. I haven't even thought about any other law schools. I ended up calling the dean of Duke Law School have a conversation with him I like looked him up saw he was a big Duke basketball fan I'm like oh I'm gonna break this guy like 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 he loves sports I'm gonna be like this is gonna be so good for the law school like I'll make sure there's like articles about it like I will like I'm gonna be a beacon of light like I like I had everything ready but he was also just like it's not gonna work out like the only people that get special accommodations are parents who like might need to drop off their kids in the morning he said they don't even let people work their first year of law school. So playing a D1 sport would be almost like a job. So it wouldn't make sense to let me do that. And like, he was sorry. So then now I had like a week to decide what I was doing for law school. Cause I was like, do I actually want to go to Duke for soccer or do I want to just go, go to Duke? You know, was it the school I actually wanted to go to? But then I also was like, wait, am I done with soccer now? Or do I, cause I could have easily stayed at BU done a grad program, play at least another year there. So I just had this like giant like crisis. I was like, I have a week to figure out the rest of my life. Like a one week crisis. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I'd gone into Berkeley, but I I didn't even consider, like, I remember I got the email. I was like, Oh sweet. Like, (laughs) I was like, cool. Like I applied here just cause it was like a high ranked law school, but like I didn't pay it any mind. I didn't even know where Berkeley was in California. I just knew it was University of California, Berkeley. And so I was like, you know, maybe I should, like, pay that school a little more attention. Like, I think if I'm not playing soccer anymore, like, 
California would be like a new chapter, start fresh. So I started calling everyone I could, like current students, past students, like people at Berkeley. And probably after like a couple days, more and more, I started warming up to the idea like, you know, maybe maybe I should do this. Like if I'm not playing soccer, like I know it's going to be something that's going to be tough on me. So maybe if I, I start somewhere where like soccer was never even a possibility. Like if I go to Duke and I see the team playing, maybe I'll like I'll be like, wow, that should be me. Or if I stay at a school in the East Coast, I'll be like, oh, like my friends might be playing here like this week. And if I go to their game, maybe I'll be like, oh, man, that could be also be me. But I was like, if I go to California, this won't mean anything to me because I never had a chance to play here. Like I never talked to the coach. Like I don't know what's going on. Like it was never really in the realm of possibility. And so I was like, you know what? Let's do it. New chapter, law school, soccerless George. We're going to California. And so, yeah, that was kind of the decision of how I came out to Berkeley. What made you continue to pursue soccer? <laughs> You've been told no so many times from high school to club to potentially with varsity at BU. Now you have no idea. With Duke, you got told no. And now you come here. You decide to be soccerless. You're at a very, very good law school. What made you keep pursuing soccer? Because <sighs> I just love the game. <laughs> I, I love it so much. Like, I just, I just love it. I guess for me, it was interesting because now sitting here all this time later, after like I've played that season, I think, at least I think I can say like I'm done. But, like, back then, even though I was done, I think, like, a part of me inside knew, like, I wasn't in a little bit. And I still had two whole years of eligibility that I was kind of, like, throwing, throwing away, not using. And so, like, I knew I had that, but I was, like, I need to focus on law school. And I did. Like, I had a good time. I enjoyed freedom for the first time in a while. Like, not having to wake up in the morning for practice, not having to do this or that. And, like... It was truly enjoyable. I had a great time, but I think just like internally, like I knew, like ah, George, you're not done. Like I think I still had that like little voice in my head telling me, like you know, like you're ready. And even for me, like I I was injured my entire senior year as well. So our season for COVID um, got moved to the spring, and so I was fine the entire fall. I was like, all right, this is great. And then right at the end, got a hamstring injury which ended up being, like, chronic and was, you know, hurting me for a year. So I played only one out of our four spring games, and it was my last game. It was my senior day. I couldn't even run, but I told our trainer, I was like, Holly, I I need to play. Like, even if, like, I tear my hamstring or whatever, like, so be it like I need to get out on the field one last time like I'm never playing soccer again that was a lie <laughs> but, but I was like like I'm never playing college soccer again like if I if I do my my hamstring I do my hamstring so I like got clear to play 10 minutes each half I could not even run like I don't know where the video is now but it's it's definitely bad like I was playing striker because like that's the easiest position for someone who's not fit in the slightest I almost scored which is interesting <laughs> but but like I just could not run and so like I hadn't been fit for a long time between my junior year and senior year and so I think once I got here I let my injuries heal up a little bit that especially kind of pushed me I was like in the best shape of my life and I was like 
I think I need to play again. I was like, I, I think I need to figure it out. <laughs> now that you're done, now that you closed off this chapter, now that you did play here at Cal and we shared that journey together, especially the way you went out in your last game with Cal, are you satisfied? Are you could, could you feel like, hey, I don't need to do this again? Yeah, I think so, especially with, with college soccer, for sure. I think I'm definitely satisfied, and especially like now it's like I'm not going pro. So I think in terms of like high-level soccer, I think I am satisfied with that, with how that journey ended, like that last game against Stanford. That was actually the first 90-minute game I ever played straight through in college soccer. So like having that be like my last game against like the number five team in the country, like in a Pac-12, like, filled stands, like, it doesn't get better than that. Like, I'm, I was so content with, with ending like that. Even when I was like, oh, maybe I can get to play an extra year or not, I was like, if I don't, like, that ending, like, how does it get better than that? So I think I was content with that. Obviously, in the future, like, when it comes to, like, men's leagues, like, there's certain men's leagues that, like, get fans and things like that. So, like, maybe that atmosphere would be, like, decent if I play in those, but... In terms of, like, college, pro, that route, like, I, I think I'm done. Yeah. Yes, that's crazy to think of. Have you really sat down and thought about that? Where it's, like, you went through all of this club team in BU rejected you. And then you end up, six years later, playing against the number five team in the nation in the Pac-12 with a field stand. Because you, at the beginning, like, let's see, maybe 45 minutes ago or so, you were talking about how, like, oh, yeah, Power 5 school, no way. But you ended up, yeah. <laughs> your last game was at a Power 5 school, 90 minutes against the number 5 team in the nation with fans in the stands, and you played a damn good game. You were the only senior um, to play 90 minutes. Uh, I think me and Jack, I'll, I think Jack played 92. Did Jack not play 90? Nope. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You were the only senior to play 90 minutes. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that but... was it. Damn good game. Like, was, you were balling. Oh, I had so much fun. I think, yeah, that was one of my, my favorite games I've ever played. Because I think, obviously, I was like, oh, I got to go out with a bang. And, you know, starting that game, I was like, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself and after five minutes get taken off in front of everyone. But the game just kept going on, and I just felt like I was like, this is soccer. I've played soccer so many times. And I think the biggest thing for me, too, is like, I was 22, like, I had experience, and, like, I was looking at the Stanford guys, I was like, obviously, these are, like, highly rated recruits, but, like, these are kids. Like, I like I think I put the same kid who was playing left mid on the ground, like, three times. I was like, buddy, I'm sorry, but, like, <laughs> you're going down <laughs> every, every single time. So, like, I was just, like, shrugging them off, because I was like, yeah, you guys are good players. Like, I'm sure, sure you'll get farther in soccer than I ever did. But like today, you're my son. Like, <laughs> like I'm sorry. Like you're 19, and I'm gonna make sure you know you're 19 years old. <laughs> that, that's a perfect way to look at it. Yeah, it's a very, very good look, very good way to look at it. And I'm happy. I'm happy for you because that was yeah. like a, a great way to close it off. And it's crazy to think we've only known each other for less than 10 months. I still remember the first time you showed up at Witter and we were uh, like, oh, yeah. who's this kid? He's like, Tommy, oh, it's my boy George. And you couldn't warm up with us, but we were like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I was um, all, over, all the way to the side. Yeah. And it's funny, too. I'll, I'll, I don't know if this is the right moment, I'll tell you, but, like, I knew before we met specifically that we would be close because 
like obviously like when I came here I was like oh like I'm not playing but I'll follow Cal soccer and I see this guy Fernando Andrade they're always posting about him they're like fair play the freaking poster I see in the back so obviously like I see this kid and like it reminded me of myself you know like at BU where like obviously things on the field you can't always you can't always control but like off the field it's like how are you getting involved because I think a lot of people when it comes to college sports they're like oh like I'm so busy with my sport I can't do this I can't do that but just within the athletic department there's so many opportunities that I feel like people don't take advantage of so like for me like I was a part of SAC I did the commentary I did like video for sports games Whenever somebody like needed an interview, I was the one to give it. Uh, so like I just always found a way to get involved, even when I was injured. So I see this kid and I see him doing his thing off the field, and I was like, I was like, this guy, I like this guy. Didn't even know who you were, but I was like, I like him. And so like when I joined the team, I was like, we're gonna get along. And so it's funny, like all this time now, how close we are, and me sitting here on your podcast because I saw the vision years and years ago. Like I had no idea about <laughs> I that. I saw I saw the vision years. Like I I love what you. I was a fan from afar. Wow, I yeah. had no idea. I, I I was waiting to tell you that until this exact moment, not a second sooner. I was like. This entire time we've been friends, I was like, I'm not telling him this until I got on the podcast. <laughs> well, there we go. Wow, that, that really means a lot, especially because, like like you said, I mean, the field things aren't really controllable. And I've had my own story in and of itself. And it was a crazy wild ride. And I'm not sure what people could perceive of me. Um, I mean, the story that's written isn't about me playing soccer. But if you just see the Calmen soccer post, you you could maybe perceive something where it's like, wow, this kid, like, he's a baller, or yeah. this kid, like, this and that. But, um, yeah, so I'm not sure what people perceive or what people could think. But, yeah. I mean, thank you, I guess. I was not expecting that yeah. at all. I had no yeah. clue. And even right now when you said uh, earlier about having a connection with the media and things like that, I had never sat down and thought about, wow, like, this is why we're friends. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure what specific moment it was that we started really getting along. Definitely practice. Yeah. And what moment, I have no clue. But um, maybe it, Jim will for sure say some <laughs> dumb shit, and then we looked at each other, and, <laughs> and that's probably what happened. But, um, wow, no, that means a lot. That means a lot. I appreciate it, and it's it, it was great to share the, the pitch with you. Oh, it was an absolute honor just Brexit. If you had to describe it in one word, that that's what it is. Brexit. Yeah. Brexit. Proper Brexit. <laughs> Proper Brexit. Um, to close off, there's a few things I've had in mind. Um, but first off, with this entire chapter um, of your life so far, what do you think your biggest self-realization was throughout this stage of your life as a D1 athlete? Ooh. The biggest self-realization I had... I think one thing, and it's kind of we've touched on it before, is that like if you put effort into something, a lot of times the results you want are going to come out of it as well. And I think not just on the field, but like off the field as well. I think something I always prided myself on was like being the best version of myself and that like every day I walked in, like people would see me as someone that they could look up to, whether it was through like my motivation to get on the team, my play on the field, just the way I carried myself. So I think like when you put a lot in, 
like the fruit i think was it the fruits of your labor are are, are gonna show so like for me like especially when i was injured like internally i like it hurt me like it hurt me not being able to play it hurt me when i was having all these injuries over and over but externally i was like i'm still gonna be the same positive guy that people know me to be like in the locker room i'm not gonna affect the team i'm not gonna be selfish so like you know, the freshmen coming in, they're, you know, doing their thing. And I'm, like, so happy for them, like, genuinely because, like, you know, I, it's, I love seeing other people have success. So, obviously, like, I'm sad that I can't play, but I'm not going to be that grumpy junior in the corner, like, oh, this kid's playing and I can't. Like, no, I was like, I'm so happy for you. So, I think even now those relationships I've made throughout are ones that I'm so happy for because that was such a tough time in my life. But... I didn't let it affect other people. And I not only wanted to not affect other people, I wanted to be helpful to them. And so I think that helped not only in like the personal relationships where like I'm still close with so many people I met throughout that time, but it also helped even like outside of my teammates with like the athletic department because I got a lot closer to people in the athletic department because I wanted to help. I wanted to stay involved. So like I remember when COVID hit, they needed someone to get interviewed by the Boston Globe about like how I, how they felt about it. They picked me. And so I was like, this is great. Um, when our head coach of 35 years retired, we needed like a little committee to interview new coaches, like a little player committee. I got selected. I remember some people are like, this guy barely played this season. Why is he deciding who the new head coach is? And it was because like I was a trusted individual. I made those those decisions. And even like you were talking about like when they would – you know, make Instagram posts about things I did, about, like, an article that was written about me. Like, I remember I got word that some people were, like, saying, like, why is this guy, you know, being put everywhere? Like, he's not even playing right now. But it was just because, like, I worked so much in, like, building relationships on fostering other parts off the field. And that, those fruits of that labor helped it so much outside of soccer. So I think that realization where it's, like, Whatever you put in, you will get out and so much success will come if you just like be a good person and like really try and like explore different avenues and explore different things. Yeah, like to what you're saying, you reap what you sow. And I, yeah, I mean, that's more behind the scenes, but same thing. KG retired after 22 years. I'm in a meeting with our athletic director and it's me, Christian, Jack and Colin and you look around with those four, and there's, like, one obvious guy that's just not playing at the same level as these other three are. But it just worked out. Yeah. Um, and it was part of it. And I have a, a decent relationship with our AD, and I've gotten to be in multiple meetings with him. And just because of exactly what you're talking about, because of those connections, I guess, and, and just what you make out of it. Um, with what you were talking about of like the soccer player that you want to be remembered for, or like what you did within athletics during your time, um, what do you think you want to be remembered for, whether it's as a soccer player or at your time at BU, at your time at Cal, like now that it's coming to a close, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, it's actually funny. Like for me. And it's crazy saying this because this entire time I've talked about how much soccer means to me, but I don't really care about being remembered as a good soccer player. I think I just want to be remembered as like a good person and somebody that like people could 
could like come to and that people felt comfortable with. And I think that just means so much more to me because like we've talked about like people where like you remember them and you're like, gosh, yeah, that kid was just a menace to be teammates with. But he was a good soccer player. It's like, what? who cares about that? Like, at some point, all that is going to, like, go to the wind. Whether it's at the college level, professional level, whatever. At some point, that person's going to retire, too. Then what are they left with? So, like, I don't really care to be remembered, like, as a good player. Like, obviously, like, if somebody brings up, like, a banger I scored in training once, like, I'll be happy. But, like, I want them to be like, oh, yeah, I was teams with George. Like, like he helped me so much, like... Every time he comes to visit, I hope he comes to see me. If I'm ever where he's living, I want to go see him. Like, that's what I care about. Like, on the field, like, all that's going to fade. But, like, who you are as a human being and a person, like, that's what never does. So that's what I want to be remembered for, honestly. To to that point of what you were saying, <laughs> last night I got the confirmation that the fight is booked and I'll be in, in the East Coast for Let's a week. Let's go! Um, <laughs> sometime after this episode is posted, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And it's something I've noticed about you, whether it was, I won't say their name, but whether it's people that were graduating or some of the younger guys that were struggling, like I always ended up finding you having like private conversations with them. Is that part of what you were talking about? Yeah, I think that's definitely the thing. Like something I always want to do, like, is like, look out, look around the locker room, like open my eyes to see what's going on, how people are feeling where they are. And I think that's just something I've always done naturally. And I love building personal relationships with people because you never know when they're going to need them the most. So I think like throughout my entire time in college, like, especially as I've gotten older too, like, I love just like pulling a younger guy and just like, you know, talking to them because I know in a lot of locker rooms, it's like, oh my gosh, like the seniors, the juniors, like you don't talk to them, you don't joke around with them. So I think even like all of our freshmen now, like they see me as someone in terms of like the older people who they can like joke around with a little bit, who like maybe they can like, not like shit on, but like make a joke towards. Like there are certain seniors who as a freshman, you're like, I would never make a single joke towards them. But it's like, I don't want to be that guy. Like Yes, I want you to respect me. Yes, I want you to see me as a leader. But I want you to see me as, like, a human that you can, like, can be also be your friend. So, like, yes, you can come to me with, like, serious stuff. But, like, if you want to, like, poke fun at me one day in the locker room, like, yeah, like, do that, you know? So, like, I want to create, like, always want to be someone that creates an open environment. So, I think with, like, younger people, that's my style. But then also just, like, with my peers and older people as well, like, you know, I just want to check in on people, like, all our guys who've left, like, you know, I'm always checking them, like, hey, like, what's up? Like, what's new with you and everything? So I think just, like, like I've said, my, like, favorite part of just college soccer and everything is the relationships, the people I've met. So I think that's just something that I've always tried to foster the best I can just wherever I've been. With your with your time as a soccer player, especially since it was, like, six years in college, what have you seen that's very different? Because, like, thinking about it, the guys that were four years older than you and then six years younger to a certain extent, or not six years, they're, like, five-ish yeah. years. That's still, like, a almost decade gap right there, if that makes any sense. Like, you've seen people that are a decade apart and have been able to call them teammates. Yeah. With these new generations, do you see an issue in leadership that's interesting. I guess I wouldn't really know too much because 
the people that were younger when I was at BU who are now senior leaders, I haven't really seen them like lead on the field. Like I've gone back, I've visited, I've talked to them off the field and they're like a lot more mature now than they were then. Like, it's just really funny. Like I was back in Boston in January and I was talking to one of the kids on the team who just wrapped up his senior season. And when I was there, he was always like just a younger clown. And just some of the things I was saying, I was like, you are so different. Like you are not the same person you were. So I think it's just natural for like people always to, you know, mature as they get older. So we'll see with like the freshmen, sophomores we have now here, like, you know, whether or not they'll be the same way. I'd say the only thing is like, I know like with this generation now, like every generation has their own like different things. But like I've seen like with this whole new generation, like some like like the celebrations they do and stuff like that. And like you see the kids in high school, they like immediately know where the camera is and they run to do like the Rashford celebration. Like they're doing that. Like I guess like we had the same thing, but I feel like it's always natural. Like as you get older with different generations, like now we're like in a big like social media TikTok generation. Like when they score a goal, they're like, oh, I want my celebration to go viral on TikTok or something. So I'd be interesting to see whether or not once those kids get older, they like look down, I guess look down, it's not the right word, but they, they look at the next generation and be like, oh, I can't believe you guys are doing this new thing now. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody said that about us. Yeah. Oh, oh, I remember I scored a goal like my sophomore year of high school and I hit the, you know, <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're in pre-academy quarterfinals, calm down. <laughs> but like, that's just, that's just what was, was the thing at the time, you know? Yeah. With uh, with the new things that you have coming up, what is the situation with um, Harvard Law and like what's that whole program about? Because I know we bumped into each other at Raleigh's um, for lunch and you were having lunch with the people that are going, but what's that program like or, or what's, what's all that about? Yeah, so every year uh, Berkeley sends five 3L third-year law students to Harvard and then Harvard in turn sends five to Berkeley as part of their... Berkeley Harvard Exchange Program. So there's an application process. Any person going through the third year of law school at Berkeley can apply. You just need to send in your transcript, resume, and a one-page paper on, you know, why you want to go. And One page, wow. Yeah, so just one page. And so obviously for me, like, I knew I'd be a decent candidate. I'm from the East Coast. I'm going to be working in Boston this summer. And so it kind of just made sense to apply I was still in limbo with soccer where I was waiting here if I was going to get back an extra year of eligibility to play in the fall. So even when I applied, I was like, if I get the extra year, I'll probably take it because, like, I'll be here anyway. Like, if I have an extra year for soccer, I'll play. And so I'd be like, ooh, it'd be hard to say no to Harvard. So I was like, if I get the year, I hope they tell me no. But then I never really, like, thought about it the other way that, like, oh, you're going to get it, and then soccer is not going to work out. And I actually found out that I got the Harvard program the same day I found out I didn't get the eligibility. So it was just like such a whirlwind of emotions for me. And like I'm so sad to be leaving Berkeley a year early. I kind of planned this whole three-year California adventure, and to be having it ending a year early is sad. But, I mean, Harvard Law is Harvard Law. I'm so excited to be going there, getting that experience, seeing what a whole new law schools like and such a historic one as well so yeah it should be a great time like i'm 
I honestly don't don't know what to expect at all. It's going to be completely different. I feel like the culture of Berkeley is one I enjoyed so much, like within the law school and how it is. So just going to a place like Harvard, like, yeah, who knows what it'll be like. Regardless of what the rankings say, Harvard Law is forever Harvard Law, and they're just arguably the most prestigious law school in the world. Yeah, like I was, they uh, just released their course catalog, so we have to start choosing classes, and one of the classes on the Supreme Court's being taught by Justice Breyer, who just retired from the Supreme Court last year, so it's like I could be taught by a Supreme Court justice this fall. So it's like just things like that you can't can't really compare it with anywhere else. So yeah, I'm I'm so fortunate and I'm definitely looking forward to it. That'll be very special. Um, you'll have to give me a tour <laughs> when uh, when I'm over there. But that is that is very 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 special. Um, congratulations. Yeah, that. thank That's... you. And it's like kind of like you know we talked about earlier with like luck and everything, where it's like you still have to put yourself in those positions for this luck to to happen so like i went from not even thinking about law school to randomly this global pandemic happening so i have to apply for it to not even knowing berkeley was a place to going to berkeley to then from berkeley getting the opportunity to study at harvard so like through some random roundabout way i ended up back at a school that i lived across the bridge from and always spent time at for law school so it's just like just crazy how things happen like some people might say luck but it's like i've kind of put myself in these situations where like those opportunities open themselves up for me yeah well well that's that's all there is to it it's creating your own luck and and betting on yourself and highly admire you for this the the thing i was wanting to say from the beginning and (laughs) that i wanted to to not announce but like because we haven't done it but it's like something i want to start giving a twist to this podcast on is just like having friends on or guests that have been on previously and talk about like a chosen topic. And I have a couple in mind that I've texted you about, but now that I, that I, I told you like, Oh, we have to do your own episode. Like talk about this. I am very surprised at like how much I already did know about you, but how little I knew about all there was behind those stories. Yeah. been an honor man that was very very awesome and getting to know your story was i'm very very impressed i know it's been a pleasure and i think like the way i am as a person too it's like yes i'm an open book but i also don't like go around like saying everything about me or my thought process and things or like why i do certain things so that's why it's like almost hard for me to like articulate things because i'm like I've like, it's just like who I am. It's what I've done. And it's like hard, like going back in time and thinking about like my thought process. I did different things. So no, this was great. And I'm happy like I could come on and talk to you and, you know, we're only going to become closer now. Yeah. No, hopefully we can, we can squeeze in a couple. I've even a couple that I, of topics that I had in mind that was like, um, I'll, I'll save this one for, for later and we'll do a maybe shorter, maybe longer. I don't know, but we we'll just talk about those topics. Um, but to close off, um, I have five kind of rapid fire questions. Oh, let's do it. Is there anything you regret not doing because you were a D1 soccer player? Is there anything I regret not doing? Ooh. I think maybe like, I don't know if I would have 
how like deep into it I've gotten. But like in high school, I was part of like student government. I was a vice president of my high school for four years. So like maybe getting more involved within the school as a whole. I felt I got involved really a lot with the athletic department, you know, tried to leave it better than, you know, when I got there. But then it's like, oh, you know, maybe I would have connected more with people outside of the athletic department because I got to know those administrators so well. I got to know our AD so well, but it's like, maybe I've got to know like people in terms of like the entire BU community as well as I got to know the athletic department. And I feel like student government's probably the best way to do that. So I think that's probably something I'd have liked to do, just gone more involved like outside of athletics. It's funny you say that, especially because you helped me record the <laughs> Q&A with Shaka, um, whose Shaka's episode is up now. People can go check it out. And then they can also check out the live Q&A, which will be up by the time people are listening to this. Um, but yeah, when I saw that and I was talking to people on campus, you saw me just yeah. talking to strangers I've never met before. And I was like, wow, I missed out on so much. And I was super involved with the athletic department. But I missed out on a lot, and I'm kind of glad I get two extra years to, like, yeah. look at that as well because, yeah, completely agree with that. Um, within your journey, what's the hardest decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Ooh, I think definitely the hardest decision was going to be you and not playing soccer. And I think because that was kind of the point that, like, everything could have changed. Where, like, obviously it worked out, but if I didn't make the team, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I could have in myself have said, I can't play soccer anymore or I'm done with high-level soccer. But at the, at the same time, I love BU so much as a school, it would have been hard to leave and go somewhere else. Especially because if I don't play B- soccer there at BU, I don't make the team, I'm going to my sophomore year it's probably hard for me to like find D1 programs that's going to be like, oh, we're going to take on this random kid who didn't play his entire freshman year. you know. So maybe then if I want to play college soccer, I have to like go play D3 or something. So I think that was the hardest decision for me because it just put everything <laughs> in lieu. And I was like, I really, really was banking on it all working out. And if it didn't, I don't even know. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Like I don't know what would have happened. So, yeah, that was definitely the hardest decision. If there's anything, or let, let me start over. <laughs> what is something you think everyone should try at least once in their life? I'd say moving to a place where you're not familiar with, where you don't know people, and it's just a completely new adventure. So, like, for me, Boston was, like, kind of like that because it was close to home, like, hour and a half drive, if something really happened, like my family could come see me. If they wanted to come to games, they could come to games. But I wasn't at home at a place I knew well, so I experienced it that a little bit. But then coming to California was just completely different. Like I knew no one here at all. Like I was starting from scratch. So I think in some ways it's just like that experience is like something different that everybody needs to experience. Like I know on our team here at Cal – um, there were only three of us not from California and I was the only one that was an international. So like everyone's just California based and has been there their entire life or has been here for a while and came to college here, stay in the area. And there's so many times where I just be like, you guys need to go explore the world. Like I can't really talk much because I went to schools, you know, closer to home than some of you guys from like SoCal. But I'm like, you still just need to at some point, whether it's 
now or later in your lives, like just get out of here for a year or two. Just like try something different. It's something I, I thought I did in Boston, but until I came here, I was like, yeah, no, this is this is different for sure. Hopefully, in the future, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's within the plans, but we'll see a couple years down the line. Yeah. Um, what is your definition of leadership? My definition of leadership is being someone that's open for conversation. I think the best leaders aren't the ones that, you know, have like the big pregame speeches or the big postgame speeches. Like that's a part of leadership, somebody who like you want to go into battle with. But I feel like my leadership style is just like those private conversations. So like when I was at BU my senior year, I was one of three captains and we all kind of like had different leadership styles. Like I was never really the one that like did like a pregame speech or like broke down like a postgame huddle. But I was always the one that was like having those one-on-one conversations, especially like during a tough time like COVID, like with the freshmen, like, like, are you still being able to meet people or like, oh, I know you can't go to this party because you can't give the entire team COVID, but like, trust me, like I'll all work out. So I feel like being a good leader is being able to be an open vessel of conversation for other people and being someone that others feel comfortable talking to because like not everyone can relate to like a rah, 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 let's freaking go play our balls off today, guys. But everyone can relate to a good conversation. Everyone can relate to someone actually caring about them. So I'd say for me, that's what like a good leader is. And lastly, what is your definition of success? That is so funny you just asked me that because this was the question I asked in every every interview for at law firms. And then yesterday I was in class and we had two lawyers come in from like small law firms. And I also asked them that question because a small law firm is a lot bigger than a big law firm. So I was like, oh, I, you know, when it comes to a small firm where like you're the owner, what is your definition of success? So I've never been asked this question back. So it's super weird because I've asked this question so many times that it's weird being asked it back. So I think my definition of success is being at a place where you're content with where you are, but you can also like strive for more. So I feel like if you're at a place where you're only thinking about the future, like I need to get here, I need to get here that's problematic in a sense. If you're in a place where you're like, you're just chilling and you're like, life is good. I don't necessarily call that success either. Like I think success is when you have that healthy balance of like, you see your future, but you're also happy with your current like state of where you are. So like for me, like obviously like I got into law school, I was very happy. Like a lot of people would say, oh, success. But I was also like, okay, like I need to do well in law school. I need to make sure, like, I get a job. And so, like, once I go to the job, then it'll be different. It'll be, okay, I'm happy with the job. I need to do well here. But, like, also, like, have a little ear, like, eye for the future as well. So I think success is when you're comfortable where you are, but you also, like, see the future a little bit and, like, you see what you want is attainable. Georgie, that's all I have for you. Is there anything I missed? Anything else you, you wanted to touch on? Uh no, I mean, I think we could probably go on for another while. You know, some of those stories have, like, even more subparts, which we can talk about in private. Okay. But, yeah, no, I just, this is great. And I think, you know, like I said, I don't always, like, say exactly 
what happened or talk for two hours. You know, I, I'm a very like low key person. Like, you know, I come in, I smile, I talk with people. So I don't always like go deep into the weeds of like my journey and what's happened. So I think, yeah, it's been a pleasure to kind of tell my story a little bit and hopefully uh, there's more to tell in the future. Yeah. The pleasure is all mine. And yeah, hopefully we can run it back for sure. In Boston. In um, Boston. Harvard pod. Harvard pod would be <laughs> fire. We'll clip this and then we'll add it at the beginning of, of the next one. But that's that. Hopefully we can kick off the, the next project with uh, just small topic conversations uh, before you leave. And yeah. But until then, uh, thank you to everyone that watched on YouTube or listened on Spotify. That is it for today. You can like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you have available to you and I will see you all next time. That's it. There you have it. There you have it. Oh Lord. <laughs>